Here comes the best, the most well-rounded, best-smelling, nothing-off-limits podcast in the world. Welcome to Quadcast with Courtney Olson. In the red corner, the woman with the world's deadliest thighs. In the blue corner, some loser about to lose. Let's get ready to mumble. We're back with another episode. I have the Saul Solomon. You prefer Solomon over Saul. Ah, whatever you call me is great. Solomon is Shlomo. Uh, Shlomo, yeah, that's right. That's that was your name. college name, right? That was and all growing up, I never heard Solomon. Solomon's like that weird name that's on a passport that <laughs> you only find out when you start, you know, doing something professional. You're a lawyer, and you're told, "Well, that's your legal name. You have to do that." I'm like, I'm Shlomo, but. <laughs> Okay, many names. Time, time to grow up and use the full name. Correct. Yes, Correct. Friedman. 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 One of the members of ECP. So I also will do my best to <laughs> remember to switch back and forth between us. So this is like, you know, ADD, someone's nightmare. <laughs> when you get, in, you know, entrenched in a conversation and you're like, oh, the camera's pointing at my face and I'm not the one talking. So. Mm-hmm. Good. We've got that. We've got that part down. So tell us, I like to give this opportunity for people to brag about themselves. <laughs> we want to know a bit of your background. Brag about yourself. What are you most proud of? Yeah, it's a great, uh, it's a, it's an, <laughs> an interesting way to start. Um, well, I'm a Canadian, which... Uh, <laughs> hey, buddy. That, that's why I'm so nice and polite um, and easygoing. Um, I come from a, a big family. I've got nine brothers and sisters. Wild. Uh, raised in Ottawa, Ontario. Raised by parents who came out of the hippie generation directly into Orthodox Judaism. So it was, it was a special kind of, you know, uh, hippie religious fusion in our home, but uh, equipped all of us with a lot of independence. Yeah, um, I bet. It was a really important part of, of my upbringing. All my siblings are off doing very different things and living different kinds of lifestyles. And I think my parents kind of just sort of revel in that. Um, but it definitely equipped me with this center um, that, you know, what, what other people say is not terribly important. What, you know, the wider world says, if, if you're good with yourself and, and the people who are around you supporting you on whatever wild adventure it happens to be, and I've had a few, um, you know, it's a... That's the right direction to be living your life in. So that, that, that started young for sure. I like that. So I guess my earliest adventure, that big adventure, was uh, I was going to be a rabbi. Uh, that was the plan. <laughs> <laughs> and you're looking at me and you're like, how the hell was that possible? Fair enough. That's a, that's a reasonable <laughs> question. Um, but uh, I, go, I go to study in Jerusalem. Uh, I'm there for three years. I get ordained. And towards the end of that process, I start to realize that it's not for me. What made you realize that it wasn't for you? I'm sure you get asked that a lot, but yeah. what was the aha moment? I, I think I, I started to internalize something which has stood with me through my law practice and to what I do today um, with Ethical Capital Partners. And, and that's this sense that if I'm not buying what I'm selling, nobody else is going to buy it either. And as you know, I, I very much enjoyed a lot of aspects of, of the study to be a rabbi. I enjoyed the legal analysis. I enjoyed, you know, ministering uh, to people and and being there for people in time of need. But when it came to telling people what was religious truth, 
what was right and what was wrong, what was dogma, what was in and what was out. I, I wasn't comfortable with that, given that, you know, I was having some doubts about what was in and out and, and where dogma fit, fit in all this. And I knew the last thing I could do is stand up in front of a congregation and give them capital T truth. Um, it's not, it's not going to be authentic, and I can't be part of that. So to find something else to do, you know, if uh, being a rabbi is not a career for a nice Jewish boy, I said, what do we need? We need more criminal lawyers. So <laughs> You can't knock criminal lawyers either. I've had to hire one myself, you know. And <laughs> so. Look, I, I, uh, the criminal law has been my life for 15 years. Um, I love everything about it. Uh, particularly, I love, you know, giving a voice to people who don't have a voice, speaking for someone who's been maligned or misdescribed, right? When, when you think about who our clients are, where they come from, uh, the public usually has a, an opinion about them. And that opinion is based uh, often on misinformation, on a tiny snippet of facts, or on what this person did in their worst hour of their worst day, uh, when there's so much more than that. That's, so, that's a really good way of putting it, Saul. You know, I look back at at the time when I needed the criminal lawyer, right? Yeah. Because there was a time where I'm like, this this is interesting with ECP and these guys have represented, you know, X, Y, and Z people. And, and, you know, I had a conversation with my dear friend who he and I had four felonies hanging over our head. Yeah. You know, and as a recovered drug addict, we, I constantly say we're not bad people who need to get good. We're sick people who need to get well. Of course. And, you know, he's like, yeah, well, you've used a defense attorney when we we're in that position and I'm like yeah, you're absolutely right well well said you know there's a lot to be said for your profession and the amount of shit you have to deal yeah. with <laughs> I think you know people have this idea and it's it's largely media influenced of who the criminal lawyer is and what their values are um, you know I, I think I spent many years in various aspects of my practice being a social worker with a law degree mm. uh, you walk into a criminal courtroom you know in, in in Ottawa where I'm from but I think the same is true around the world and you see who's there and who is there. Poor people, mentally ill people, drug addicted people, racialized people, uh, the marginal and, and the vulnerable. That's, that's who gets churned through our, our criminal law system by and large. Um, and the defense lawyer's role is to be a voice for them, uh, to, to pick up an unpopular cause and to tell people the other side of the story, which of course leads very neatly into what isn't I'm doing Isn't that true? Now. <laughs> I was just about to say, well, isn't that great timing? Yeah. <laughs> so. uh, well, I mean, people ask me and, and you know, both uh, my partner, Fadi Mansour, who's our, our managing partner at Ethical Capital Partners, you know, they ask about, you know, how do you go from criminal defense uh, into Ethical Capital Partners? And obviously, the criminal and regulatory experience is important. That's how we know uh, that this company is compliant. That's how we're able to evaluate that, that we, we use that sort of, that legal side of our brain. But there's the advocacy side that, that is still there very much. And when you learn about this story and you learn about the MindGeek story, uh, what they have done and the potential of what they have to do in the future, it's a very comfortable fit for someone who's used to speaking for misunderstood causes. Right. Um, because this is very much a misunderstood cause, not just on the company level, on the sex worker level, on the industry level. Uh, so it's very natural for us to be able to, to, to slip into that role of telling their story. That makes perfect sense. So like when you were first approached with this opportunity, right, because in the short period of time, you know, that we've known each other and having a laugh about, you know, we both don't consume porn, yeah. so to speak, and, you know, what's the other side of the story and so forth. You know, when you were first given this opportunity, were you just like, what? You know, I, <laughs> I mean, so it, it would be an understatement to say that I never thought in a million years 
uh, that I would have anything to do with the adult entertainment industry. Right. But it, it's funny because even as I say that, I tell you, you know, I've represented sex workers on criminal charges. I have seen uh, the discrimination that they face at the hands of law enforcement. I've seen the discrimination they face when trying to do ordinary things like get a bank account or, or be on social media. So I've seen that as right. a defense lawyer, but I never thought that, you know, I would have any more involvement uh, in the industry than acting for the for the occasional sex worker and doing my best, you know, to to discharge my duty in, in a courtroom. So I never thought I would I would have anything to do with this, uh, and I approached it with an enormous degree of skepticism. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. Lawyers in general were a skeptical bunch. We're right. a worst case scenario bunch. Uh, we get paid to give risk management advice, right? Um, and I was very skeptical. Uh, but what I what I, I think I'm well equipped to do is to go into the review of anything with an open mind, and that's that's all I gave them was an open mind. Um, and and you know, it, long story short, what I what I saw blew my mind, right. and, it, and it made me realize that this isn't a question of how could I do this. The real question is how could I not do this now, knowing what I know. Wow, what did you discover? Yeah. I mean, obviously that's difficult to put into a, a short period of time, but... Yeah, how long do you have? <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? But what were some of the things that you came across or people's stories or... And I don't know how much of the backstory we need to put in here because some people might jump on this episode and be like, what in the actual fuck are these people talking about? So ECP is Ethical Capital Partners. It's a private equity group who has acquired MindGeek, which owns, which owns Pornhub. And obviously you could list off all the other assets because yeah. there's all quite the a few. All the sites that you pretend not to go to <laughs> are owned by MindGeek. Right. It's laughing at some of, uh, you know, you were saying, you know, the discrimination that sex workers face and from police and financial institutions and, you know, thinking about my experience in doing I I still I don't cringe when I say sex work. Part of me is programmed to, right? Yes, because it is. I am a square and and very vanilla to a certain degree, but you know my experience in the muscle kink fetish world, right? And doing these everybody that's listening will pretty much know my background, but my you know experience wrestling strange men in hotel rooms and you know, some of them wanting to get dressed up in women's pantyhose and slapped around. I'm right. like, wait, you're a federal judge. <laughs> this is this is this is awkward. You know, or pediatricians, people we put up on pedestals who are at the end of the day, normal people who are exploring this other side of themselves, or you know, especially for men wanting to be on the other side of their role out in society of mm -hmm. being the breadwinner, the strong one, you know, being able to be dominated and, and live in that fantasy, I suppose, for an hour. But seeing, right, police, policemen, you know, every, every occupation from podiatry to car mechanics to, you know, college students, right. to, they weren't always the lawyers like yourself or the <laughs> high-powered people who, you know, sit and yell at people all day and then need to get their ass whooped at the end of the yeah. day. But yeah, you see people and you're like, okay, so uh, this police officer who is, you know. <laughs> Look, I, I think that tells us a lot about, you know, because there's so much shame and stigma around sex work of all kinds, um, whether it's the, you know, performing in, in, in pornography, whether it's more hands-on sex work, uh, and the consumption of this material, there, there's so much stigma, but the reality is the, it is an enormous part of who we are as human beings. Sexual expression is a big part of that. Uh, it's a healthy part of that, that exploration, that shedding of roles, right? So when, when, when I, I look at, you know, I get into look at MindGeek, basically, and I'm tasked with 
you know, what's going on under the hood of this company? Right. right. And I had read the same thing that everybody else had read. I'd read the December 2020 column by Nicholas Kristof, The Children of Pornhub. I'm reading about a, a website and allegations of having underage content or non-consensual content. So I go in, like I said, very, very skeptical. Right. And what I'd say is there are three things uh, that really shock me uh, in, in a very positive way and encourage me to learn more. Okay. The first one is the people who I meet. Uh, I have these very preconceived notions about who the folks could be at MindGeek and also uh, who are the folks who are sex workers and performers. We, ha we have these, um, I think, very, very rigid notions of, of those people. So on the MindGeek side, I meet tech executives who care very much about the work they do, who put trust and safety at the forefront of what they do, who feel very much maligned and misunderstood by the public, right? Because at this point, their owners have not really spoken up for them. Right. And okay? how many employees are we talking about here? So we're looking, you know, 1,300 worldwide okay. uh, offices in, in, in Montreal and in Luxembourg, Cyprus, LA and Austin, Texas. Okay. Um, so a, a big company, but you know, I didn't know what to expect when I walk into this office building. Um, I, I won't tell you what I expected, right? It was <laughs> so far from reality. And, and I met uh, really wonderful people who, who care very much about the safety of the individuals, both posting content and consuming content on their platforms, and are really motivated by that. Their values, I was shocked to learn, align with my values. Mm. So, that's, so th that's first. I see people, and I meet them, and I get to know them and, and, and learn about how they approach their work. Uh, the, the second thing is I learned about the technologies they've created, okay? Right. Um, and there's a very old story when it comes to online porn. And it basically is, and it's a true story, it's the story of how porn built the modern internet. You see, because adult is so stigmatized, uh, it doesn't get sort of the mainstream support. You can't go to a big company and say, build me this product. So when you look at the dawn of the internet, everything we take for granted today, payment processing online, streaming video, who do you think built that? Interesting. Right? Long before there was Netflix, okay? Long before anyone mainstream was thinking about streaming video over the internet. Right. The adult industry built that. Who wanted to take credit cards over the internet before anyone else did and had to build those solutions themselves? Right? So all, you know, similar, you know, with in terms of online security initiatives, Porn built what we take for granted on the internet. Uh, and I, I started to realize that the tools that they've created to keep their sites safe, to, keep, uh, to ensure that only uh, verified uploaders can post and all the content um, is appropriate and screened using machine learning tools and, and others, I, I, I quickly arrived at the realization that this cannot stay in the adult industry. This technology has such wider applications. Right. It, 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 it's, it's a travesty to keep it um, only in the adult industry. If, if, we wanna, if we're serious about building an internet that keeps kids safe, that protects people's intimate images, this technology needs to be shared broadly. And, that, and that's, I never expected to find that going in. That speaks a lot of your character. Well, I mean, you know, it, it's important that the work that I do aligns with my values. And one of the wonderful things about Ethical Capital Partners is the people who I'm surrounded with. It's not, it's not just me, very far from it. Um, my partners, our advisors, uh, like you, uh, are all people who share these values. Uh, so, for example, the protection of children comes first. Right. So let's talk about that for a moment. Okay. Um, you know, when you hear uh, false allegations about how easy it is to post on Pornhub, uh, these have no basis in reality. And I encourage anyone listening to this, go make a verified uploader account. Um, see how long it takes. You'll see that you'll be required to give a full face moving video scan as well as a scan of government issued ID. 
And if those two things don't match up, you don't even get in the door. That's interesting. You know, being on OnlyFans, I and they've recently changed some rules. Like you have to tag if somebody's in a video with you, because yep. previously you could submit a you know a waiver of a liability form, I guess you call it, along with their ID, and then they changed it to where they need to hold the ID and hold the right. form at the same time. And now, from what I understand, is you, they have to actually have a, a verified account. So, you know, it's it was a bit of a process, but never anything along the lines of needing to record a video of yourself and using, yep. so it's using facial identification? It, it uses what's called, so both facial recognition and a liveness check, right? Because you have to understand, when you operate a platform like Pornhub, when you when you have sites that have 130 million daily active users. That's insane, right? dog. Hold <laughs> on, we gotta bookmark that and let's yeah. come back to so, that as well. But bad so. guys are always trying to exploit the platform, right? right? Just like bad guys are trying to rob banks and they're trying to, you know, hack popular sites, bad guys are always trying to exploit you, okay? So we need to create a platform that continuously adapts to those threats. So let's talk. So first you have the verified uploader. Now, if you pass that machine check, and there are a number of checks in there because the ID needs to match the information that you put in, the ID and your face need to match, your face needs to be verified as a live face. And, and I, you know, I, I've tried this out in various permutations. I've tried to hold up a photo of someone. I've tried to use, we found a passport of some celebrity. It's not real, it's from a movie, uh, but there's a screen capture. I'm like, let's try this, yeah. right? Boom, red X, red X, red X. It, it doesn't let it go through. So um, you need to pass the machine liveness check. You haven't even created an account yet, Courtney, okay? We're not even there. Right. Uh, uh, then a real person, a moderator, has to review those results and they themselves look into the information you provide. They're looking for any discrepancies, even though you've passed our third-party provider liveness and ID verification. Right, because YouTube and Meta, I mean, as far as their team, uh, at least I think with YouTube, don't they outsource the moderation so, aspect as well? Not only do they outsource moderation, but we're not even at moderation yet. You haven't tried True. to post a piece of content. <laughs> All you try to do is make an account. Now, if, if you had these rules on Facebook or Twitter or Reddit, to make an account, nobody would make an account. Right. Okay? Now, I will also acknowledge that these do impose, you know, difficulties on our content creators. There's no question they do. And what we try to do every day is balance the need to keep the platform secure, but also only collect the minimal personal information required. But unfortunately, or or fortunately, however you want to look at right, it, right. we need these are steps we need to take, and they are not negotiable. Right. So if you fail one of these steps. That's the end of it for you, right? Unless you can get us now, try an ID, a better scan of your ID, a better scan of your face. But if you don't go past the verified uploader stage and, and pass all of the internal tests, you don't even have an account. Right. Okay. So now you have an account, all right? Um, maybe something was odd about the ID. We verified it. We looked at it. and But it, it has to pass fully the computer checks and the human checks. Now let's talk about content for a moment, okay? You want to upload content. So a person has a video of themselves. They want to upload it. It doesn't just go live on the site, right? Unlike Facebook, where you know you pay, post a picture from your aunt's barbecue, they go up in two seconds. Right. There is uh, a significant machine learning process as well as human process. So you try to upload content. First thing that happens is it gets scanned through no less than six databases, looking for matches to either known underage content or known intimate image content or otherwise content that's been removed from our platform or many of other partner, our partners. So we partner up with um, uh, YouTube, CSAI Match, with Thorn, that's Ashton Kutcher's uh, sponsored company that, that basically looks for the identifying characteristics of previously flagged content and 
matches it to what's being uploaded. So you don't even know this, but your video is basically being cross-referenced to millions of other images and videos. Oh, that uh, hurts my head in I, terms I, of the technology. Exactly. I can't even wrap my head around it. And what about missing children? Is there a partnership with, what's the agency? So NECMEC, the National yeah. Center for Missing and Exploited Children, uh, we have access to their database of, and these, these digital fingerprints are called hashes, that's the mathematical term for them, that basically reduces a piece of content to a line of computer code. Ugh. Just like our fingerprints are unique, the fingerprints of digital files are unique, okay? Um, now, you've gone through these five or six databases, and then you get to our tool. And this is one of the tools I'm most excited about. It's called Safeguard. And what Safeguard can do is it can match it to previously flagged content even if the person has amended or edited the image or video, right? So we then scan the databases again using our proprietary tool. So this this notion that you know the, the and, and just to be clear, a human hasn't seen it yet. Right. Right. These right. are all machine tools happening in the background. If you pass every single one of those, you need green check marks all the way down. If you get one red X, we're back to the beginning. That content is not going up on the platform. Right. Now we go to human moderation. So every piece of content is reviewed by a human moderator, even, and this is important, Courtney, even if you've had an account for five years and you've been posting content and you're the most trusted person and all your content is excellent, you get the same scrutiny. A human still needs to review it. There is no shortcut to that. In fact, I've been to Cyprus. Uh, I've seen our moderators at work. They're aided by uh, computer tools and AI tools, but they are eyes on that video. In fact, one of the things we also do is we live transcribe the audio because the video might be good, but what if they're saying things that are illegal, okay? In other words, acting out scenarios that either uh, it's illegal to do that or it violates our terms of service. So in terms of like rape fantasies? Not or... acceptable. Really? Right? Absolutely. So uh, you, you cannot have the simulation of non-consensual conduct on our site. It, it, it's, it, it is against our terms of service. Now, once again, very clear. So that's that that is off limits. You can't have something that even simulates, let's say, you know, a, a, a hidden recording. It doesn't matter if it's really consensual. If it simulates that, we say that is not okay. We will not promote that content. Or, for example, you have content that has hate speech in it, right? right? The use of racial epithets, the the use of extremist language, the use of incitement to violence. So, when you see mentioning the the racial aspect, when you see Asian MILF gets blah blah blah. Great question. Yeah. So let me address that. Um, so what we do is we differentiate between degradation of somebody, right, in terms of the use of a racial epithet against them. So let's say there was a comment that described someone with, with a racial epithet, that would get banned, that right. comment. But if an individual themselves wants to promote their racial identity and use certain terms to describe themselves, obviously within our terms of service, that we have no issue with. So we see a very difference as a person owning their own identity. Remember, Interesting, because other people are going to stand back from afar and say, oh, Pornhub allows yeah. this type of behavior, when in actuality, it's the, the person posting the content. Yeah, in fact, one of the things that people don't realize, and I'm happy to educate them about, is that the titles are chosen by the uploaders. Right. The titles and the tags are chosen. Now, you should know, our content moderation also reviews the titles, the tags, and any metadata. Uh, we have, I think we're up to about 15,000 banned words and terms. We update it every day with intelligence from law enforcement and, and various advocacy organizations because these criminals keep changing language, they keep using coded words, and we're continuously learning to ensure that those plat our platform stays free of that type of, even, we're talking about text language here, okay? Um, it's a constant challenge, but it's one that uh, our people and our technology are up to. So now, 
this is th this long process that we've described here, if you hold that in one hand, and I have reviewed and I've seen it in detail, and I love walking people through it, and you listen to the misinformation that's being foisted by you know groups like Exodus Cry or Nicosi, which is really morality and media, um, th that organization, they're night and day. They have nothing to do with one another. So I know that you know when, when we looked at the, these processes, we were beyond impressed by what they have put into place. And we, we want to share that approach uh, with the rest of the adult industry and with the broader internet. So two questions for you. One, where do you see this technology being employed in other places? And two, why do you think the former owners, and let's be clear, they're no longer a part of the current yeah, landscape? They, they, they have no executive role. They, that they hadn't had for, for almost a year. But we, have, we bought 100% of the shares. They have no involvement, no interest whatsoever in the business. Nice. And why do you suppose they just shit the bed and went silent? Like, whoa, <laughs> who thought that was a good idea? Do you have any yeah. insight on that? You know, look, I, I, as opposed to sort of looking at what skills did past owners not have, I know what skills we have, right? Uh, right? And Fair play. I, I think part of it is if you're proud of what you're doing, Okay, then you are willing to be upfront and out front in terms of defending it. And right. th this is a company that is doing you know, great work and not, not just is doing great, great work, but has the potential to do even greater work. And you ask about where this technology can be applied broader, you know, in, in, a, in a broader sense. We want to harness the technology that we've created to screen content and give it to law enforcement so they can use those same tools to detect illegal content. Um, but also to the broader internet, the sort of mainstream social media platforms. You know, when you think about the issues that are facing um, people, young people in particular on, on the internet right now, you know, a, a huge challenge is non-consensual images, all right? That is an individual who may have consensually created an image, but then shared it with someone uh, who turns out to be, you know, a real jerk, okay? Right. <laughs> We're talking about revenge porn. Revenge porn. And I, I don't like to use the word revenge porn because to me, porn isn't non-consensual. Porn is consensual. Porn is, art, is you know, is sexual expression. Um, that's why, you know, when it comes to underage material, material the, the, the universally accepted term is child sex abuse material. You can't have child porn. Those two things cannot live side by side. If, it's, if it has a young person, it's not pornography. Okay, it's child sex abuse material. Super important to make that distinction. Yeah, and the same is true uh, when it comes to non-consensual intimate images. All right, um, but somebody loses control of it. The the internet needs technology that can detect these images before they're transmitted. So imagine what we use the the safeguard technology, for example, um, being used on Facebook. That is, every image that gets uploaded has to be uh, cross-referenced against a hash. Okay, a hash database, that's those digital fingerprints. Or on WhatsApp when you text it to someone. And if it matches, it just can't go through. Like I wanna live on an internet where um, a young woman who's lost control of an image, all they do is they create a hash, that's a line or two of code with a free program, and, and some NGO or advocacy organization can have this technology. It doesn't, it's not gonna be ours, we'll give it away. But every image is then scanned against it, meaning your image can't even be texted to somebody without your consent. So that's important to point out as well. I mean, you guys are ethical capital partners. Like, obviously, there's a capital aspect of it, and you're talking about giving technology away. Look, I, I'm a believer that you can do well by doing good. Right. All right. Um, the, the adult business is, is the core business of MindGeek. They do it very well. They do it better than anyone else, uh, in my opinion. Uh, they have a, a platform that provides uh, for a place where people can legally and, and responsibly share content. Beyond that, when it comes to you know, the application of this software, I want it 
as broadly adopted and in as many hands as possible. That's great. Okay, that, that, and that's, that's the core focus when it comes to the other applications of that technology. Mm-hmm.